0: You're listening to Fathoms and Enneagram podcast, discovering our inner depths one fathom at a time. Well, hello again, friends, and welcome to another episode of Fathoms and Enneagram podcast. And I must add, this may be one of the most dangerous episodes of Fathoms <laughs> because <laughs> Abram and I are creakless. <laughs> <What> the- <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We are we are entirely creekless. This could be an absolute disaster, <laughs> or maybe at best a complete waste of time because we're you know, we're bound to screw something up here, and uh-huh. we we don't have our uh, producer captain <laughs> creek. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the I, I think I'm familiar the button record, I'm pretty sure I hit it.
0: <laughs> it or we might just be talking into the ether. <laughs> it says we're recording. If not, yeah. you know, then maybe there's some reason why we're just speaking, yeah, into the ether and no one is mm-hmm. gonna hear this. But no, hopefully <laughs> hopefully we can get this right in Creek's absence. Creek is traveling and uh yeah, we're just in this season of it's hard to get all three of us together in one place at one time, but mm-hmm uh safe travels creek (laughs) enjoy this file that you're going to have to edit (laughs) (laughs) substantially i'm sure Um, but uh so abram uh we do have something to talk about though even though we are creekless Mm -hmm. uh what are we going to talk about today yeah. So,
1: you know, with our theme of story, naming our stories and then learning what stories we need to drop and then what are the stories of others, we kind of thought we'd zero in today on figuring out what what are the actual stories specific to our Enneagram type because there are some teachers and authors out there that have really done some quality yeah. work to frame up the specific language around what the kind of story that you've come to believe is specific to your type. So, yeah. Uh, and we're we're specifically going to be looking today at a Stanford professor named David Daniels who was kind of one of the fathers of the narrative Enneagram with alongside uh, Helen Palmer. Mm-hmm. So he had this idea called the basic proposition. Yeah. And and uh, this is basically, the way it was described That is 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 that it's both fundamental and comprehensive in that it determines our personality characteristics and um, our personal re- reactivity or defensiveness to whatever pushes our buttons. Yeah. So, the way that the basic proposition is kind of framed up is that there is a fundamental principle that I lost sight of in the process of growing up. Yeah. And then what happens then in that, in the process of losing that is then, the kind of narrative or the story that I came to believe instead. And then the response to that as the adaptive strategy that I developed in the result of this kind of belief, this, this narrative that's playing in my brain that I am going along with believing this is true about me. Yeah, That's kind of, those three aspects are what make up the basic proposition. So it's the, again, the fundamental principle I lost sight of what I came to believe instead and the adaptive strategy that I developed as a result
0: of this belief. Yeah, I mean, that seems, uh, I find this work by David Daniels to be really simple, but also really profound. Also, we should mention that you can find a lot of what we're gonna talk about in his tiny, but mighty book, Very. The Essential Enneagram. So yes. if you have more than one Enneagram book, you should have this one for sure. It's, it's a foundational text and really it's only, let's see, it's just about a hundred pages which uh, is convicting to a guy who wrote a 350-page <laughs> Enneagram book. <laughs> Dang it. Okay, but anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a fascinating book. There's, there's even like a, a, a different approach to typing yourself Yeah, in the book that, that I have not seen anywhere else. So he's just a, a brilliant dude in the field, you know, in the, the lineage of the Enneagram as we understand it today. He's one of the forefathers for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so this is one of those rare instances in fathoms where we're actually gonna we're gonna go around the horn. We don't mm-hmm. we don't do this very often, but uh, this seems appropriate given uh, how much work we've done, just generally speaking, with story. And uh, now we're gonna get a little bit more type specific. So maybe what we could do, maybe we could set up that whole framework that you just mentioned, that three part framework for one of mm-hmm. the types. Yeah, and then. We could focus in for all the types on this what i came to believe instead right so this story that i kind of adopted or came to believe about myself given that i lost sight of this fundamental principle does that work for you
1: yeah i love that specifically because if any, any listeners are looking for what is a practical way to grow because i know what my enneagram type is this is the the framework that i think you're going to be looking for like the, it starts off with the, uh, the fundamental principle I lost sight of. So we'll start with type one. So okay. the fundamental, I, fundamental principle I lost sight of for type one is framed up as we are all one and perfect as we are. And in the process of growing up, losing sight of that, again, this is the fundamental principle I lost sight of. What happens is that I come to believe that people are not accepted for who they are and that their good behavior is expected and taken for granted. And that their bad behavior and impulses are judged negatively and punished.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so then the that's a fun journey.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> we're both married to one, so
1: yeah, we are. Yes. Yeah, we are. And yeah. then, so what happens after that is the adaptive strategy that you develop in result of this belief is that I learn to gain love and self regard by being good, responsibility, or responsible, conscientious, and doing things the correct way, meeting my internal. High internal standards and following the rules, and so in order to do that, I have to suppress anger and develop tension, and develop yeah. tension and resentment. Yeah, yeah. So that is kind of the the three uh, aspects of the the basic proposition.
0: Yeah. So this strikes me as you know, ones. And I think some people could get tripped up on this fundamental principle that we are perfect as we are, because that mm-hmm. that seems incongruent with mm-hmm. daily life. And I, I would, um. I find it helpful to look at there are a few types of perfection, right? One is this hundred percent accuracy perfection, which is often our default kind of setting or metric for it. But right. I also think another another way to kind of measure evaluate perfection is is more through the lens of completion, right? That wholeness and goodness is available to us. And and that is I think what, what one's lose sight of, which kind of kicks in this this cycle that you just mentioned mm-hmm. as kind of an effort to try to figure out a way to get back to that place, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think some, another way to look at it too, or a different uh, angle at it is, is this inability to be okay with things as they are, Yeah, which causes all sorts of suffering, you know, like mm-hmm. I wish this was just a little bit better. I, you know, it's hard for me to see it out of place, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I and you think of I've heard you maybe you've heard the analogy of of like if you go into the forest, like trees are not all exactly the same, right? Sure. So as they are, there's something there's some sort of version of perfection about how the forest actually is. Right.
0: You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they have this in the business world, you know, CQI is some is one of those acronyms that gets thrown around, continuous quality improvement. And that's, you know, one's mm. it's it's a lens which they can't take off. you know, mm-hmm. It's really difficult for them to take off that lens because they can always see how things can be tweaked or improved, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. good. Good, all right, should we talk about the two? Yeah, So wanna, read, wanna hit that one? Yeah, so twos have the fundamental principle that they lost sight of is that everyone's needs are equally and freely met in this kind of natural generative flow of giving and receiving you know, but when confronted with a world where that doesn't happen, you know, or that's in question, they come to believe something else. And, and that is, you know, and we've talked about this on fathoms before that to get, you must give to, to be loved. You must be needed, which really kicks in all these helpful, kind, nice strategies that the twos are known for because they want to make sure that in order to, for that reciprocity, you know, to be intact, they have to give in order to get, they have Mm -hmm. to meet needs in order to to have connection and feel love, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think, again, there's something about when we're looking for the story that we maybe are, we need to drop because we're overdoing our gift, which for the two would be giving and and giving love. What's underneath that is this fundamental principle that I lost sight of. You know, I'm trying to sort of prove my worth here. Yeah. So that's the story. That's the story you're looking for. Do am I really believing that in order to be loved, I have to endlessly give of myself? Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, the value is is actually innate. You know. Yeah. Value is what is already true for me without doing anything
0: yeah yeah and then you can see why type twos tend to burn out or Mm -hmm. lose sight of their own needs struggle with boundaries because that their focus is external on what do i need to give who do i need to help what Mm -hmm. needs of others do i need to meet right right so three you want to talk about me or should i talk about myself why don't you I talk about it. me and yeah, then I'll, I'll tell you it. if you're right or not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so, the, the fundamental principle that that threes sort of lose, lose sight of in the process of growing up is that everything works and gets done naturally according to the language here is universal laws. Um, so, this is kind of about what it means to be a human being versus a human doing, I think. Yeah. Losing sight of this sort of natural unfolding of things, you know, as, yeah, losing sight of the way that things naturally unfold. The belief that that comes into play here is that what gets done is entirely dependent on a single person's individual effort. Uh, so people are re- rewarded for what they do, not at all for being who they are.
0: And this is the existential struggle of us threes, right? That we we don't we struggle to believe that things will happen and get done, <laughs> and so we look up to ourselves. I got to get things done, right? Mm-hmm. And in so doing, that's how I define myself. And, and which is why it's so hard for us threes to talk about who we are without sharing what we do, right? Mm, yeah, um, because that human being versus human doing conundrum is is very real and palpable and daily mm. a daily struggle for for us threes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fun to talk about. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's talk about creek. Okay. Yeah, since we're creekless, here since we go. Since we're creekless, creek, Here we, here's your basic proposition. <laughs> and the, the basic proposition for type fours everywhere. So, uh, you know, fours uh, have lost sight of the fundamental principle that at the core, everyone has a deep and, and complex connection to all others and all things, right? Mm. Which is probably why we see some of that highest sensitivity, you know, for authenticity and kind of realness, right? And in, in the fours that we know. Yeah. And so what they've uh, come to believe instead, w- once they've kind of lost sight of that fundamental principle, is that people experience a painful loss of their original connections, leaving them feeling abandoned and feeling that they are missing something important, right? So, you know, the fours have this kind of persistent and perpetual longing or ache, you know, for what could be what's missing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I think, uh, you know, Leslie Hirschberger, right, who probably has one of my favorite quotes on the Type Four, multiple time past guest, right, of fathoms. Mm -hmm. So fours can have this tendency to focus on the best of what's missing and the worst of what's here or present, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So they have kind of this frustrated idealism that marks their existence, right? So coming to believe that then leads them to, you know, have uh, all this sort of idealized kind of action in their world, or even Mm -hmm. idealized withdrawal, right? Yeah, that kind of marks their existence, and which is why you know, four sometimes struggle with this kind of push-pull, you know, Mm -hmm. relationship with others. Yeah, I think
1: it's important to note as well that these are perceptions based on a little kid's brain as well. Right, this is how you're viewing the world from a very, very young age, so it might feel like you are losing the deepest connection of, of kind of who you are at your truest, and that's that is a, a what's it called? It's I've heard it from some authors like this existential wound sort of you know experience. Yeah. So it's a really painful experience, and the idea is that uh, whatever you when you lose this uh, lose connection from the, your truest kind of expression of who you are, that is exactly what you're trying to bring about or force in the right. world the rest of your life. Um, yeah, so you're,
0: you're trying to conjure it, right? Or yeah. uh, manufacture it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, I mean, that's kind of one of the best ways to understand the Enneagram too, too is that in the, pro, in, in the whole trying to manufacture what you perceived you lost in the process of growing up, you're only able to produce... Uh, an imitation, yeah. That's and that's kind of where where we overdo our gift, you know, when it's when it's based on lack. When you're trying to produce it in the world, sure, right, sure. Yeah, and yeah, and well I think said. that especially the four, you know, is sort of based in this uh, existential lack. Yeah. I'm missing something
0: that everybody seems to everybody else seems to have. So and. Since Creek edits this, he can take out anything he doesn't like of what we just said about <laughs> him <laughs> or interject his own rebuttal, I suppose. Okay, so the five. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, this specific principle uh, that I lose sight of as a five is that there's uh, an ample supply of all the knowledge and energy that everybody needs.
0: Yeah. yeah. Sufficiency, provision, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, again, if that's
1: the, yeah. if that's the thing you're kind of... You feel like you're most deeply connected to, uh, and that is like your deepest, truest, uh, innocent, most beautiful aspect of who you are. Your sense of self in the process of growing up, when you lose when you lose connection with that, well, then you've got to make sense of that somehow. Right. How do you make sense of that? You know, the loss of that that deep ex- existential loss. Well, then what fives come to believe is that the world demands too much from people and that it gives them too little and potentially leaves them entirely depleted, which makes so much sense if you're perceiving that you lost all the knowledge. You lost all of that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, there's this sensitivity towards, do I have enough, right, in all areas of life, which is why, you know, I think it's rare that you'll find a five who lives a lavish lifestyle. You know, they tend to... Be a little more Spartan-like in their existence. Simplicity matters a lot to them, and and so they, and and that it also matters in terms of their calendar, right? You know, I don't want to. There rarely will they overcommit because they want to make sure that they have enough time and energy to replenish, you know, the tanks. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think these basic propositions really, really uh, help give some insight to why especially you might find somebody like a a, a person really unhealthy in their type yeah right yeah and, and and allows you to have way more compassion towards them because this is this is where they're coming from right you know this is kind of what they feel like they're so deeply disconnected from what feels like their truest self you know <laughs>
0: Very good. Okay, sixes. I have a lot of compassion for sixes. I think they're so misunderstood. So and hopefully this will help maybe us understand sixes better. So mm-hmm. the fundamental principle that sixes lose sight of is that we all begin with faith in ourselves and others and in in creation in the universe, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: And, you know, sixes have this real sensitivity and desire for trust and loyalty, right? And this is where it comes from. But what they come to believe instead when that's in question or threatened or absent Mm -hmm. is that the world is unpredictable and hazardous. Hence, people often can't trust one another, which is why, you know, they have a skeptical orientation, right? And they, you know, sixes can find themselves playing the role of the devil's advocate, you know, even though it's not because they just want to argue. <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, it's because they need to trust the authority upon which this argument stands or this idea right. or this institution or this leadership structure, whatever it might be. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and it's why they're trying to manufacture security yeah. by asking all the possible questions imaginable. Right. Well, if I can do that, then I'll have some level of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When still there, there is not a single... There's not like 102 questions you can ask that now I finally feel secure. Yeah. It's just, it's not something that can
0: happen. Yeah. Yeah, and which is I think why sixes have a a complicated relationship with leadership, right? That they, Mm -hmm. because they can be rightly (laughs) skeptical and untrusting and that bar is really high for that. And that trust has to be earned. But then once it is, they are the consummate team players, very loyal, Mm -hmm. right? And focus on the common good um, and not not a selfish agenda.
1: All right. Seven. Uh, Sevens. Yeah, heading into the basic proposition for the seven. So, this specific fundamental principle that the sevens start with is that life is a full spectrum of possibilities to be experienced freely and with sustained concentration. Oh, <laughs> that
0: feels pointed, uh, yeah. <laughs> doesn't yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they begin with like this uh, truest version of them feels abundant and free and open, full of possibility. You know, and it's the opposite of what they're most afraid of, right? Which which makes so much sense. If uh, one of the, you know, the core fear for each of these types is what is driving a lot of motivation, it's because they're afraid of this happening once again yeah. you know and so that's why so much of the unhealthy behavior is is uh, manufactured and being forced into the world because it's it's kind of based on this perception of lack yeah. i'm i'm missing something and so what sevens come to believe instead in the process of growing up and losing this sort of fundamental sight that everything is abundant for me is that the world limits people and it frustrates them and it causes them to be
0: it causes them pain that can be avoided. Yeah, yeah, this is fascinating because um, I think most of the times our experiences with sevens, if we don't know them super well, right, mm-hmm. is that they are so buoyant and positive and energetic and winsome and spontaneous when in fact what's beneath that is a, this kind of trying to keep frustration and pain at bay, mm-hmm. right,
1: Yeah,
0: and, and so there's a lot going on in the mind, <laughs> to keep that at bay, it's a lot of yeah. hi- hyper planning and keeping one eye on the the exit door, right? To see, okay, what can what can be done next in order mm-hmm. to, you know, keep sustain the excitement and the energy.
1: Yeah, I think maybe just a helpful thing to to bring in here too is, you know, when you kind of see yourself becoming excessive in your type, it's a good time to ask yourself, you know, I'm are you believing the sort of narrative here that yeah. that helps you manage what you're most afraid of which is the world limits people is that true you know mm-hmm. when you're becoming yeah. excessive right now in you know reaching for all of the options uh, feeling like that's going to f- fulfill you right just you know when you become excessive in your in your tightness you know yeah. ask yourself what's the the thing that you come to believe instead the fundamental lie here is, is kind of what's running the show and what you're believing and you can kind of begin to invalidate that when you see yourself becoming excessive yeah.
0: yeah no that's good. And I think uh, I, remember, I can't remember who it was, but one a seven I, I once heard say, you know I have to learn to that I don't need to eat my ice cream with a serving spoon. <laughs> 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 I, can, I can use a smaller spoon yeah. and take my time and savor right mm. And I think that that can be a helpful way to frame it perhaps yep. for sevens, so.
1: yeah.
0: Okay, eights. So the type eight has lost sight of this fundamental principle that everyone begins in innocence, coming freshly to each moment, and everyone can sense truth. Mm. Yeah, so interesting. This can seem a little abstract maybe at first um, if mm-hmm. you don't know the, the type eight structure really well, but... I think it can make sense when we look at what the eights came to believe instead of this fundamental principle. And and what they've come to believe is that it is a hard and unjust world in which the powerful take advantage of others, which must be resisted. Mm. And I think this is why, you know, our experience with eights is that they are, they're kind of always walking through life on guard, you know, geared up and ready f- for a battle in the event that it comes. Right. Because, if you have this belief that, you know, the powerful take advantage of others, then, you know, protection is a, is a core value, right, of, mm-hmm. of the eight. And which is why I think they ha- kind of have this hard exterior <laughs> and this kind of gooey, tender interior, if you can get there, right? Yeah, and that the part of that fundamental
1: principle that got lost sight of is that is that everybody can sense truth. And so, yeah. they're the only ones now that can, which looks like... Putting people in pressure cookers, right? Yeah. Can you stand, you know, the intensity here? Well, if you can't, mm-mm, yeah, then you're not somebody that can be trusted, or even have my respect. Which, yeah, yeah, which kind of makes sense when you're looking at what they feel like they lost connection or side of. Yeah, you
0: know? yeah, yeah. That, and that intensity can be an efficient way to mm. test the truth and yeah. test the metal, so to speak, of mm. of another. Right, that's good. Yeah. Yep. Oh, nines. Mm-hmm. All right. let's talk about you, Abram. So we just don't lose sight of anything.
1: <laughs> well, or, you... we, or we're born without any sight, <laughs> <laughs> one way or the other.
0: Well, I, in many ways, you're plagued with seeing everything, right? So, <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, Yeah. Uh, since I did three, you want to do this one?
0: Okay, so yeah, I'll take this one. All right, so nines um, have lost sight of this fundamental principle that everyone belongs equally in a state of unconditional love and union. Oh, that sounds nice, right? (laughs) It sounds so dreamy. It sounds so dreamy. Unrealistic, yeah. Uh, But what they have come to believe instead is that the world makes people unimportant Mm -hmm. and or requires them to blend in, making comfort and belonging a substitute for love and worth. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I, I it just I remember when I first heard that second uh, line making comfort we make comfort and belonging a substitute for love and worth. That is so sad. Uh, it makes me on some level I remember grieving coming to terms with that a couple years ago. That you know what it, what it looks like for a nine is to to erase themselves in order to belong. You know. Yeah. Yeah, because in order to be okay and on the same playing field as everybody else, I have to forget myself. So that—that that is the way that we're trying to manufacture the imitation
0: of what it feels like we came into the world with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so this is why we hear about nines kind of going along to get along, right? Mm-hmm. Merging. Or I think something that you've said about your own experience, Abram, as a nine that I've passed along to a lot of other nines that have found helpful is that you know you've you have often said that being a nine is like living life as a gas more than a solid right mm, yeah and i think that's that's part of it too because the full self feels disruptive you know to the field right yep definitely yeah, yeah. so well, we okay did it. we went all the way around yeah so th- i mean that's uh i think that helps and, and remember this is we're framing this in terms of the stories that we've come to believe right mm-hmm About ourselves and how we need to be able to get through life, and that's not the end of the story, right? Because as you said, this is more kind of the the childhood dilemma and the childhood compromise, right, for the personality. Yeah. And so this is not where we stay. And I'm sure many of our listeners are healthy, well adjusted, self aware versions of their types, and who you know aren't. Quite stuck as stuck in these as as we are describing them, right? But I, I do think it's helpful to know. Okay, this is a, a lot of the source of of our mm-hmm. personalities, kind of challenge and angst, right? Yeah, and you know, based if you
1: if you uh, listen to our last episode, we talked about some of the ways that we can begin to uncover some of the stories that we're believing about ourselves that may may or not be may or may not be unhelpful. Yeah, but yeah, I think you know when uh, one thing I mentioned was looking for intensity and duration or specifically yeah. even intensity of emotion usually there is one of these stories I came to believe in the process of growing up that has been running the show especially and more intensely yeah yeah so like anytime you're you're feeling intensity of emotion on some level it's a good time to start asking yourself is the uh, the story I came to believe? You know, you can probably find that. That's probably one of the best times to go looking for it.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, and also could be helpful in typing, I would think, too. Like, Mm. which of these stories that you've come to believe that we've shared, yeah, tends to kind of get a rise out of you or irk you or evoke, invoke? Invoke something in you (laughs) 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 that you evoke, I guess, to the world, right? Um, Yeah. And that can be telling. Not the only way, certainly, but it can be one angle towards typing and or at least better understanding your type if you already know your type.
1: Yeah, yeah it is the uh, the very narrow and limited lens through which you're filtering the world. Yeah,
0: And then, I, I, yeah, and I think start to see, okay, if there's emotion attached to that, then start to think, okay, how do I act and behave in the world as a result or a response to that, mm, right? Yep. That can yep. be really telling. To see the ways in which that story we've come to believe how that drives a lot of the way in which we engage our world and behave in it, right?
1: Yeah, and if I, uh, just to finish, I think there is, is. I think we've brought up before um, a lady named Byron Katie. Yeah. She's got four really helpful questions that I think kind of tie us back to reality when we are, whether we know it or not, believing this, seeing the world through this specific, this narrow filter, you know, what I came to believe instead in the process of growing up and losing my fundamental principle. One way to, to kind of help us begin to ask whether that story is true or not is these four questions from Byron Katie. And they are, well, the first one is, is it true? The second one is, can you absolutely know that it's true? The third one is, how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? Yeah. And the last one is, who would you be
0: without that thought? Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good reminder for all of us no matter where we are in kind of our enneagram or personality journeys or personal development pathways those are good questions to always return to right Mm -hmm. as a reflective exercise whether it's at the end of a day (laughs) end of a week in the moment when you're feeling a lot (laughs) you know or all the above yeah all right well I, I think we survived our Creekless episode. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. We won't know for sure until this thing is actually published, right?
1: That's. I think that's true. Yeah. What, what do I do now? What and to we, see, and to
0: see what Creek does with it. Uh, uh-huh. So you have to stop recording. Uh-huh. He's going to keep this in too, yeah. us fumbling yeah, with the technology, yeah. like old boomers or something. You Yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths one fathom at a time.